Hello everyone. In 2021 November, we had our first edition of Berlin Mental Health Festival. Part of the program, we had a panel talk about suicide prevention. And today, finally, I'm uploading the audio file. So please check it out. So welcome, everyone. Sorry for the delay, but I hope everyone's comfortable. Um, so I want to welcome you, all, welcome you all to the panel discussion today, where we're going to be discussing all things related to mental health and also um, topics related to suicide attempts and general support that we can offer as a community and that we can maybe uh, ways that we can ask for support as well if we're feeling like our mental health is suffering or if we know somebody who is. Um, this discussion panel is part of the Berlin Mental Health Festival, which is the first time that this is being organized. Um, and it's a, yay! <laughs> um, it is a week-long festival that hosts a series of different workshops. There are um, all kinds of events. There's a photography exhibition here that was um, opened yesterday, last night, by Olivia. Um, Moni is running the space, I think. Yeah, the, no, I, well, I the, oh, the festival, yeah. Um, exactly, and we have tomorrow also stand-up comedy. We have a poetry evening on um, and storytelling evening on Saturday and many, many more events. You can check them out on the website, which is berlin-mental-health-festival.com. De? Okay, either dot, dot com, I think. Yeah, dot com. Right, so I think without further ado, we can get right into it. Um, would like to introduce our panelists for today. Are you guys fine there? Do you see me? Okay. Um, do you see them, more importantly? Yeah. So um, we have here our panel experts today. We're going to be talking with um, Sophie Charlotte Adler. Um, we're going to be talking with Sen Chang. <laughs> um, with... Alpa Güney yeah. and uh, Divya Vogel. Um, I think it would be nice if you guys want to, to give a brief introduction of what you do, what is your area of expertise, and what brought you to this festival and this panel, maybe. Yeah? Maybe we start with you, Sophie. Okay. Yeah, hi. <laughs> I'm super happy to be here in such a um, yeah, cozy atmosphere. I'm... Uh, not used to this size, but I really like it. And I'm happy to be able to um, yeah, spend some time with you. I'm a psychologist and hypnotherapist, and I'm specialized on working with altered states of consciousness since 2017. And I've wrote a book about psilocybin and its potential for modern psychotherapy in research and science, which was published by Karl Auer Publisher in German. I wrote it in German. Um, yeah, and I'm working since 2018 with uh, ketamine and developed an own therapy method which combines ketamine infusion with uh, hypnotherapy. It's called ketamine-assisted hypnotherapy. And um, it's just incredible to see how effective it is for helping people with depression and suicidal ideation and pain. So I'm happy to join this panel tonight because uh, we're going to talk about suicide suicide and uh, it's super important to yeah bring awareness to the potential of um, using 
psychoactive substances, but in the right setting. Um, and I think we as a community really need to talk about that openly because we have a big issue with recreational use here in Berlin. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Sen, and I feel somehow not quite resonant with the term expert. I don't really feel like I'm an expert um, because uh, who, who can say, you know, I'm the authority to go to. Mm -hmm. um, but my experience in mental health has been um, I started my career as an occupational therapist working in both inpatient and outpatient psychiatry and uh, saw really people who were unwell, who were really struggling and um, and the, uh, the cascading effect that it had on their families and social networks. Um, and uh, I haven't been a clinical occupational therapist for several years now, so that's why I kind of uh, am leaving that, that expert um, title behind. But what I learned in my time in mental health is that mental health presents itself subclinically sub everywhere. So everybody has mental health struggle, struggles and challenges. And um, that the line between um, someone who's a therapist and someone who is a recipient of therapy is very, very blurred. Uh, and that often I saw people who were working um, on the side of the intervention who were sicker than the people who were receiving the intervention. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so so I, I just really saw, I was like, you know, I, it's just a, a matter of chance that I happen to be on this side rather than the other side. Um, in terms of personal experience with suicide, um, my grandmother had several serious suicide attempts um, over the years, and uh, it's something that my family has, my traditional Chinese family has not uh, addressed at all, and something that remains still a question mark for me as to how to integrate those experiences. Um, I have also had suicidal ideations uh, a lot during my youth, um, was also quite depressed and anxious, but subclinically. And, uh, and these days I, um, I, I really tune into um, those, uh, those instances, those feelings, because they still recur from time to time. Um, and right now my specific focus is on trauma integration, specifically transgenerational and intercultural trauma. Uh, and I host po uh, two podcasts these days. Um, one of them is about an intentional community that I live in, and the other one is about Asian people who have lived in different cultures and who are integrating um, the many facets of Asian identity with who they are today. So thank you to Moni and thank you to all of you for being here during this crazy rainstorm. And it's, uh, it's, it's really wonderful to have this intimate conversation with you. Hi, everyone again. Well, that was nice introducing, actually. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Um, I'm Alper Gunay. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist. Right now, I work for social psychiatry services, um, in German. And I also am um, seeing the patients privately. So I gave it like individual family and couple counseling, psychological counseling. And um, I'm here tonight to to show that as as my personal identity and also my professional identity that can struggle with mental health, and I would like to share this journey, how I try to be uh, deal with this problems or my mental health, how I to how to keep my mental health as should be, and how I care my wellnesses, what is my coping strategies, what is my resilience strategies, so. 
I'm here to share and listen and learn here tonight too. Thanks. Hi everyone. Um, I want to start with thanking um, Moni and all the organizers that I actually haven't met yet. <laughs> this is actually my first time being here. Um, it's a really amazing thing to do. I mean, I've been here in Berlin for almost four years. I've been in Germany longer. Um, I used to live in Leipzig. That's where I studied. And um, I'm a um, psychodynamic psychologist. And I'm also a DBT therapist, which means I work a lot with um, um, borderline personality disorders or personality disorders in general. And um, we're also, my practice is in Schoenebeck and we're running like um, skills training for, um, with DBT therapy. And um, we also have a parental center which um, offers workshops and classes for um, new parents. Um, mostly it's international focus because most of the people um, who works with me are um, expats, which means they speak English. And um, the main thing that we do is we're trying to close the gap where the safety net settings and public um, health system in Germany doesn't cover. So for example, um, you know, you're trying to get an appointment, 116, 117, even you have the code, um, you don't really, you, you can't really tell them like, I need an English speaking therapist, right? And um, we're trying to do that because first time I decided to open um, a private practice, I found out that lots of people are actually private therapists. It's not regulated how much they are allowed to charge. So you can technically charge a fortune for anything. And I was like, and I have a lot of young people coming to me and they're like, oh, I just graduated. I want to be like private therapist. I have my, my license, high practice of psychotherapy, super. Um, yeah, they're, you know, because they know like, oh, we can make, make money here. And I was like, no. We're charging and, you know, maximum what public health insurance people are actually allowed to charge. Because starting, I've been here since I left high school, basically starting my, my bachelor here. And then I found out how hard and how expensive it is to become a psychotherapist in Germany. Um, fortunately, they changed that last year in September, I think, so that it becomes more affordable and hopefully will lead to, you know, more psychotherapists and um, in the future. Um, they get covered by public health insurance and or any health insurance in general. Um, yeah, I'm mainly also here to share and to listen and to talk and um, share experiences with other um, experts and all of you guys. And thank you again for the organizers to organize this thing. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So we have yeah. one mic for each side. Um, and I just realized I didn't introduce myself, so I'm Mel. <laughs> um, I'm your host for the evening. Um, I am not a therapist or anything close to it, I reckon. Um, although that's debatable, some friends would say. But um, my connection to mental health, illnesses in general, all topics related to mental health and well-being is a pretty pretty long ongoing story. My There are several people in my family, myself somewhat included, that have struggled in the past or struggle currently with their mental health. Um, and it's 
been a topic also just very present in my life for many, many, many years. Um, one that for a long time, I think I didn't have nearly as much knowledge or um, education as I would have liked in order to kind of be able to manage and maneuver, you know, the difficult situations that come up when you're dealing with mental illnesses, especially within the family as well, with a parental figure or two can be very challenging. So, um, and it feels sometimes like you're tapping in the dark. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to host this panel and take your questions and just kind of also learn a lot more. Um, yeah, as it's, it's just an ongoing topic of interest of mine. So really happy to have you all here. Um, so I actually was just reviewing a little bit the questions that that were kind of on the table for, for tonight. And I was wondering, or I'm thinking there's two different ways to go about this, because when we talk about things like mental health and we talk about the person, there's always the person that's suffering, the person that's struggling, and then there's always the person that that is 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 attached somehow to that person, right? So whether it be a family member, a friend, a partner, even a coworker, somebody that you're that you care about is suffering, there's this perspective, right? There's like the the one who wants to help and the one who needs the help. So I think it's really important that we address kind of both sides of these coins because they both come with their own set of complications, I think, and just kind of little nuances. Um, but I think what kind of pulled me just instinctively, so I'll go with that, um, is to start out actually with the person struggling with the mental health, um, especially maybe somebody, for example, who might be feeling already, you know, on the, on the border of feeling very suicidal or, you know, they're feeling like they're getting there. I think, at least my experience has been as well, that you... Sometimes you have a bit of an inkling when you're getting down there, when you're getting there. Um, so what is maybe, start off there, what's the most important thing that somebody who is really struggling right now to that point, what's the most important thing they need to know right now, like in that moment? Let's take it from there. And yeah, what would you each say would be something that like, yeah, it's it's key. It's like the thing, the one major thing or two. That you're not alone. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, naturally, <laughs> naturally humans are, you know, a social being. Um, it's natural to not want to be alone, to, to can't be alone. And, um, you know, when you're feeling down in general, like sometimes asking for help is like, no. Or you have already, um, you're thinking about, um, I'm, I'm already so much of a burden and um, don't want to seek any help. Like, I feel so lonely. But one, if you're asking me, like, the most important thing to know is, like, that you're not alone and you're never alone. And um, reach out to, to anyone, to anyone who could hear you. You know, even if it's, like, if you sometimes I you know obviously you have like a sometimes you just don't feel like talking to your partner but your partner is right there. Just don't overthink it. Share. Try to let it out there. It's like the first step, getting it out there, like all those emotions and all those feelings. Because um, yeah, that's just, I don't know about you. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, um, there's a lot of path over there. So 
who we are, what is our personal identity, professional identity, or our sources. Just in this situation focusing on, or such situation focusing on the present moment, and then I... <laughs> so some mental health problems yes we warning with those mental health problems but sometimes we didn't born with this and we just got a term of our life and we know that this might be temporarily so we just need to focus on what I want to do, where I am in the present moment, and then what what sources I have it, how to activate it, or am I want to activate it, this one, or like, you know, turn back to yourself, yes, and also open yourself, because being vulnerable, opening yourself and being vulnerable, this is also like a key, based on my perspective, to starting to change a positive way. Thank you. Um, it's a it's a really difficult question to answer because I don't know if there's one most important thing um, because everyone's situation is different and why someone might be feeling like I I can't handle it anymore is very diverse. So I, I guess I'll you know I'll say a few things that uh, that come to mind is. Um, one building on what Divya was saying, this feeling of aloneness is so desperate, you know, it feels, um, it feels completely isolating. It feels almost like it doesn't matter, uh, if I'm here or not. And, um, and I think that the, the difficulty often comes when we have thoughts and we believe the thoughts and we think that the thoughts have to be true. Um, if I'm thinking them over and over and over again, oh, I, I can't be here anymore. I need to, I need to die. I need to kill myself. Um, it's, it's really difficult to kind of distance yourself from it. Um, and, and yet I think this is, um, this is the practice and, um, and it's, and it's a difficult thing to practice in those moments of desperation of remembering that the thoughts are like the clouds in the sky and we are the sky. Um, and um, and to build on what um, what uh, sorry Alpero was saying, uh, that asking for help uh, is also or asking for help is um, again difficult, and this is also the practice because you might ask for help once or twice and you might not get the help that you're looking for. Mm. It might not be the the thing that, you know, someone says something to you and you're like, oh, that makes it actually worse. Why did you say that to me? Um, and the thing to remember is, it's almost like if you can kind of get yourself in this cognitive frame of mind, it's kind of like a numbers game. It's like the more times that you ask for help, the more likely it is that you're gonna find someone who will be able to give you a little bit. And that the idea is not that we go from completely black to completely white, that we go from I'm 100% suicidal to 0% suicidal. The goal is that we just take it, take the edge off by two or 
so that we can make it to the next thing and make it to the next thing. Um, and that's the practice of keeping, uh, continuing to ask for help from different sources and to take what works and leave the rest because there's probably going to be a lot of stuff that, that doesn't work. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. There was so much great things said already. Um, Maybe I can add this, like, sometimes it's okay to be in the dark and that that this person uh, doesn't fight against that or stops comparing um, her being in the moment and this feeling of sadness and darkness to other moments in the past or ideas about the future. Maybe really, like, allowing yourself that you are at... The, in the moment uh, in a really dark place and get comfortable in that dark place because uh, that's that's a big part of uh, our human experience and um, in, in the animal world we see it a lot of times right that uh, certain animals need to feel uncomfortable to grow like the snake one day her skin is like too tight and she needs to get out of that skin and that's a really long and uh, not easy process and um, that we allow ourselves to be sometimes not good, not not functioning the way we think we should uh, function and just be in that darkness. Yeah, yeah thank you. I, I loved all these answers, beautiful. Um, And it all resonated with me, maybe hopefully with you as well. And it actually brought up for me the the question of, right, so this the process, the process that we do um, when we're facing and we're working through a mental illness or a mental health struggle. This process, it can be so difficult. It can be such an emotional roller coaster and it can take us down pathways that And, and you know and, and make us open up doors that we didn't even imagine were there, yet alone what's behind them. And it can really be gut-wrenching. So in, in that process, what are some things that somebody who's going through all of this, what are some things that they can do um, that can help them cultivate a sense of balance and groundedness maybe, a sense of hereness um, while they're going through this inner darkness. I think that's the, the easiest thing that slips out of someone's control or some out of someone's present moment awareness is, is, is this, is like this, it's all here, I'm not, I'm not even here, so I might as well not be here. So yeah, what are things that can help them go through this transition? Um, maybe, I guess, both with others and then also for themselves, because even though we're communal beings, we're oftentimes alone. So, yeah, what, what are different practices or just different ideas, thoughts? Mm -hmm. Whoever, whoever wants, you can, you can all answer freely. I don't want to always No, no, whoever, 
there's no order. Whoever, yeah, just grab a mic and okay. go. I want to talk. Sure. Just go okay, right I'll, I can start. Um, and there's no exhaustive list, right? So um, I can share my experience during the lockdown. I locked down by myself for six months, uh, as many of us did, and went through um, like one of the most difficult periods of mental health in my life. And uh, exactly as you mentioned, it was like, I'm all up here. I'm not anywhere else. If I died in my apartment, nobody would know for, for weeks. <laughs> nobody would know. Um, and, and that was a very, uh, yeah, I felt like I was in outer space, very isolating event. It was also very peaceful in some ways, but also very isolating and difficult. And, uh, what I realized was that, okay, so this is, it's very, you know, common knowledge, but it's difficult to do is we need to use our bodies. Um, we need to use our hands because using our hands gets us out of our brains and, um, whatever that looks like for each person, it could be as simple as going for a walk. Um, the power of going for a walk, especially in the daytime, where we can get the the, the sunlight in our eyes and uh, activate our circadian rhythms so that we can have a better chance of being able to sleep. Um, because sleep is really, really, really tied to wellness in, um, in every aspect. Like we cannot ignore that enough. Um, so being able to regulate our sleep and going to bed, um, around the time that we're supposed to go to bed and getting up around generally, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy. Um, and just slowly starting to do that. Uh, so waking up and then going outside for even a 10 minute walk around the block will do so much. Um, and then simple things with our hands. If you can cook any kind of meal for yourself, it can be as simple as opening up, a vegan schnitzel, <laughs> um, and then putting it in a pan. It doesn't have to be crazy, but if you can, you know, do something where you peel vegetables, where you chop things, you stir a pot, um, and then you do the dishes. Um, that's something that, um, that activates your, your ability to care for yourself. And, um, in occupational therapy, we call these activities of daily living. So when you engage in normal activities of daily living, it, it really helps to regulate. Um, and if you can, if you want to, if you can, if you want to do something creative, um, if you want to paint or draw, and it doesn't have to be a masterpiece. In fact, it's probably better if it's not a masterpiece. You know, you can like scribble with a crayon. I've done that many times. Take a little leaf and then make a, make a crayon leaf print out of it. Um, it's, uh, it's something that, that, you know, this repetitiveness of the motion is what gets us out of our brains. Um, so, uh, so I think that those are the, the really foundational pieces of, um, of activating our bodies and activating the, the natural systems of regulation that we have. And then after we do that, then we can start doing some other things. Um, sending voicemails to friends has also been <laughs> a huge, uh, savior for me. Just walking and talking, walk and talk o'clock is what I called it, uh, where I go and I send, you know, 15 long minute voicemails to friends and then they send them back to me. And then, uh, and we have hours of conversation asynchronously. I call it yeah. personal podcast. Oh, me too. Exactly. <laughs> personal podcast. Yeah. I'm a podcaster. So that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you said something about, you know, you're, you're having this cloud over your head and you don't have, you don't do what, you know, you're sub normally do, right? So trying to get back into rhythm, like trying to establish like habits or routine, 
even the word like when you're there it will feel like it's such a big word you know like a routine like a morning routine evening routine sleep hygiene ugh. Um, but just a little things like I don't know if you drink coffee or tea in the morning just take a minute you can combine it with with practicing gratitude or awareness make the coffee and try like close your eyes you know um, try to to um, feel how it, how it smell, you know, the warmth of everything. Try just to take some moment of your, for yourself and um, maybe don't touch your phone in the morning <laughs> before you do that. And then you can go back to all the social media and phone and everything. Just take a moment just for yourself and just try to take everything in um, to, you know, like, be aware of your surroundings and everything. And um, Mel said something about something and also in a relationship level, is something that I um, tell my client a lot. For example, you can improve your, um, your routines in personal level and in re relationship level and professional level. So remember these three things if you want to start a new routine, like in personal level, you can just start, I don't know, you want to start um, incorporating some physical activities, for example, because it releases, uh, you know, hormones that makes you happier. Maybe a morning run or something. That's something that you can do for yourself, personal, or just you want to start eating breakfast in the morning. That's also something personal. And in relationship level, um, you could make plans. Try to make weekly plans with, I don't know, your partner, your friends, or do something that. Um, maybe a community yoga or something. It also counts, you know, meeting new people or coming to one of these events, something that makes you have interaction with someone else other than yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, another routine that you can do is like on a professional level, maybe, I don't know, maybe you want to connect with more people in your field when you're already happy in your field, you know, browse LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever, Facebook. Um, or um, or at what's a Bumble business? Oh yeah, Bumble I just biz. Up. Yeah. <laughs> and um, or maybe you're not happy where you are. You're looking for a job. Just maybe like give yourself an hour every week. Start small. And what I always tell my client is like these routines needs to be realistic. It doesn't need to be you know okay. I need to find a new job. I will. I will. Um, you know, put one hour every day from Monday to Saturday. I will take Sunday free. And if you can't do it for one day because you're too tired, it's okay. Give yourself grace. And always remember, if you don't, you know, get these little goals, if you can't reach it, it's okay. Because we're only humans. I mean, we're not perfect. Mm. No. Um, I can add something about, like, um, recently I working on and... Um, learn it to wellnesses so there's an approach that like a wellness had seven um sub um dimension and like um sub lines that and one of this um the sub lines is like a um, physical area where you can make it um yourself your body uh, physically like a uh, busy or more stronger and there's also like more energy dimension that like at this seven dimension there's like energy level where you can um you know something going on your brain brain chemical level or your body and your body's reacting like some symptoms 
maybe based on like panic attack, maybe stress, maybe anxiety, maybe like losing someone, griefs, maybe like any other stuff, maybe like uh, the relationship problem, work problem, burnout, whatever. But what we learn it is our body shows the symptoms, just like a uh, heart beating uh, or pulls and like pain on the chest, um, headache, um, uh, migraines, all this like, you know, blurred eye views and it's like losing hearing sensation or like smell or like getting very sensitive. This is all our body shows that our body wants to protect us and give a signal. Look, what's going on? Give attention, give it time So do something. Look, this is the symptoms and what you're going to do. Okay, what are I going to do? What is my option? What is my resources? It's a great idea, Dad. Go for a walk. Go for running. Like personally what I do, even the weather is super cold, rainy, whatever. I tell myself, I don't care. You go on running. And I go running, take like shower. The shower is like really helping, makes me relax, relief. And then like I try to do, of course, I don't do all that stuff at the same time. But what I'm going to do, meditation. This really helps me, like, you know, any kind of meditation. You call, like, based on the religion medication, uh, uh, meditation or, like, um, some philosophical meditation or, like, any, I don't know, alternative uh, or mindfulness meditation and, um, like, you know, take, take a deep breath meditation. There's many bunch of, like, meditation techniques there. But I do also, like, I follow one of that. So it really helps me if you guys ask me what is my, what I am doing it. So this is what I do. Yeah. Yeah, so great. Uh, all, all those. Um, take notes. Yeah, take notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, what to add? Um, I, I often practice with my clients to... Um, to be a good friend to yourself, like the inner conversation, like the way you talk to yourself, that uh, you imagine you're talking to your best friend. Because we're often very hard to ourselves. We, we are often so hard to ourselves, way more than we would ever be to our friends or loved ones. And um, that's something really, really... Um, Beautiful to see and to experience when you start to be nice to yourself and kind and say, okay, well, it's pretty dark here, but hey, we are in here together. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, really taking care of your inner dialogue. And if it's really like uncomfortable, what always helps a lot is concentrate on your breath. And maybe have some attention to where, where, how, how are you breathing? Is it more up here or do you breathe really deeply into your tummy? Because then you can connect to that kind of Buddha nature, you know, this like really deep into your belly and then feel this relaxation that can come totally natural only through your breathing. And that's, I think, two things that, um, You can practice every day on a gentle way um, and you're going to see the more you do it, the more um, easier it becomes to um, yeah, open up for all these uh, things you want to do but somehow can't, right? Go running and go meditation. and Because when people are really suffering, when they are really depressed and really suicidal or really anxious, <laughs> 
they can't start easily a new habit, right? Because it's like, it's too much. How? How? They, they can't even get up in the morning. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then really, like as someone said, little steps, like not everything at once, like not changing the world in one day. Yeah. Yeah, I loved I loved all these things that you said um, because I found I find them all to be very true. Um, but also specifically this this last part, right, of this challenge of when someone is so unwell that like even the thought of putting on a pair of like <laughs> shoes and like jogging pants and going for a run is like a straight up nope in capital letters it's just not gonna happen like they're not gonna it's they can't one thing just to add I think that I found to be really helpful during the pandemic um because everything was so silent um that was ironically the first lockdown was not when I was struggling I started struggling in September very hard like very very hardly and um But one thing that I found to be throughout the last couple of years of my life, very, very helpful um, for the moments where you feel the most disconnected from the world. Bear with me. It is to sit, lay, stand, whatever you want to do by a tree and touch it, touch a tree and really look at it. Like really look at it. Like look at the bark the details, the little ants, the little bugs that are inside the tree, the roots of the tree, look up the tree, look down the tree, walk around the tree, whatever you want to do, hug it, kiss it, whatever works for you. Or if you just want to be awkward about it and just sit next to it and pretend like you're not touching the tree, that works too. Whatever will get you to like be by a humongous being that cannot speak to you or say anything or do anything except for just be and remind you that It, I found it to be such a gentle reminder of like, okay, well, this tree is here and it's been here for forever or much longer than I've been here because, well, look, it's a huge tree. How many hundreds of years has it been here? I don't know, but it's survived all kinds of weather and it seems to still be standing, even if it's crooked. Maybe I have a fighting chance, kind of. I found that somehow to be, there's something, it's so simple that we all forget it, especially in the city. I totally agree. And it's called this sensory walking mm -hmm. or sensor, probably you know that, right? Yeah, yeah barefoot yeah. is even better. Yeah, you can yeah, absolutely. get so yourself barefoot. So it's called like sensory then. walking. So if you guys into, yeah. But I feel like that's a simple thing that I found that even on the worst days, you can, you can manage to get outside your house to the proximity of a tree and somewhat awkwardly at least just stand next to it and touch it. And I feel like it does, it, it does something to get you out of the head and into a different place, whatever place that might be. Um, but there was something that I wanted to get into now, actually, because there's something that you brought up, the don't pick up your phone. Um, so we know that social media is very present in the industrialized world, in Western countries especially. Um, and I know that oftentimes the association with social media is that it actually causes a lot of struggles for people because of this comparison paradigm that we're living under. Um, but I was wondering what 
in what ways do you all feel social media can be helpful for somebody when they're struggling? Um, how can it be helpful? And also, are there specific platforms or are there ways of using a platform, a larger platform that we know, like Instagram or Facebook or something that can, um, that could, that could help, that could assist somebody if they're not even capable of getting out of their bed. And the only thing they can do is grab their phone. <laughs> Maybe how do they do this in a way that won't harm them, but help them? Yeah. How do you, how do you all see this? Um, I, I think like everything is doses that can be beneficial or harmful. Yeah. It depends of like, um, what is our main goal or, um, to, to reason to, to consuming or using this platforms or using social media. Yeah. Like it might be a fact positively or it might be a fact uh, negatively depends of like, um, what is our approach or mentality to consume such stuff. No, um, I were like, I know a lot of platforms, which is like this pandemic times, like rise up a lot of startups, online platforms, one like uh, mental health talk now, which is the talk. Now I also work to talk now. So it's like, there's a rule. It doesn't matter like I want to go visit a therapist or not. There's a rules that strict rules that I can't or I can't even or when I call them like, you know, oh, we don't have uh, except new patient. Sorry, we booked. Sorry, like there is a waiting list and because about Corona, because about Corona. So it's like, so what is my options then? You know, this um, with pandemic, our life, I think based on my approach, like get more limited and not so much options out there. So I think if, if we needed some prof mental health professions to reach and get help, there's a lot of the online platform where we can reach. There's also like um, the support groups, like via to Telegram or WhatsApp, Zoom, Zoom meetings. And... Um, that was a funny because um, this pandemic time, like all the clubs and the bars was closed and I love dancing. I'm a big fan of the dancing. It's one of my uh, copying strategy, actually. So we, I, I like Google it. Where, where's like people dancing? Where, where do people go? And it's like, I discovered that in the Twitch, there is like a dancing group. They make an online dancing event. So I participated. We started like a 12 till like morning four or five everyone's grabbed their drinks dancing there was a costume everyone's weird that was like helped me actually to to keep um not to feel social isolated so i think um again i would like to back my first sentence depends of our goals depends of like our approach and um how we would like to use this platform no When I was reviewing your questions, it was more like about what kind of social media that can be helpful. And the first thing that came into my mind was like the pros and cons of the social media. Um, because something that we do also in my practice is um, we have a class um, for body positivity. And a huge chunks of that, you know, people who's responsible for this problem is actually the advertising and social media and all of this. You know, open Instagram, oh, okay, I don't have that body, I want to have that body. And you feel down, okay, I don't want to get out of the bed. That's a very simple thing, a picture that can just put you down so far below and, um, you know, you ruin your day, basically. Just as simple as one picture. So like you said, it's something that um, you have to wait in yourself and imagine in the pandemic with all the, you know, the suicide rate in kids or um, in um, 
adolescents are higher because they can't really meet with their friends and they're very, I remember when you're like 14, 15, 16, 17, all that I wanted to do was like being with my friends. I don't want to be with my family. <laughs> I just want to be with my friends. And schools are closed, right? For months. And um, classes are online and you can't really participate in class. And um, so social media has been helping all these kids and all these people like us, me, to connect with family, people that we can't see. Um, so, um, you know, one side, it's a very good thing that it exists, um, but it's not like I'm praising Zuckerberg or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, obviously on Facebook, um, in this, there's like groups um, and this mental state in Berlin where I found out about this. Um, this. Exactly, yeah. where we find each other. I mean, it's very helpful, you know. I don't know what the number is. I mean, we should do a study, like how many people actually got help and have their life changed from this group, which is not where it doesn't have, I don't know how many, how many um, members it has now. 6,000. Um, but I bet there are lots of people um, that, because I also connected with some people there and and um, yeah, they're saying like, oh, thank you. This is very resourceful, you know. And that's just one or two lives that's changed by this one group. And imagine how many groups out there. There are also forums, um, also very specific ones, um, not just for mental health issues, but also for other health issues. There are always like a forum or an app or something, and they usually have something. And I'm not just talking about um, the person who has the problem itself, also for the, um, for the family members, their support groups. Um, I don't know if people already know the first contact of a support group that is actually covered by the states like SECIS. You know, um, I think lots of them, um, because of the lockdown, they also do like virtual things. They are really organized. They like they have this their own platform, and or they use Zoom and stuff like that. Um, they really made an effort to make the virtual thing happen during the lockdown, which I was really like surprised. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not very easy doing this transition from the beginning, like. Um, I think, I don't know about others, but as doctors and you're not really allowed to see patients virtually if you've never seen them in person at least one time. And I think the rule was waived in the middle of the pandemic or something. And I think it's still going on. I'm not sure because I'm only seeing my, my, my clients um, in person um, right now. But um, lots of people are making an effort, um, restaurants, you know, to go online. So it's something that we don't know how long this pandemic is going to stay. We're technically, we're still there. And I'm just grateful that we have choices. <laughs> um, yeah, but still, we need to keep it in the back of our mind that not social media is not like 100, it's not a solution, um, but it's like a, a support, you know, one tool to, to cope. Um, I kind of feel like checking in with the audience and seeing how everybody's feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I just noticed that that one person that one person um, stepped out, and I was just wondering if you know if people are feeling like uh, energized or if they need to stand up and stretch a little bit. Um, we feel good, or are you all just attentively listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, feel free if at some point you want to ask a question, just raise your hand. I'm the caller. Yeah. I'm, I'm to hear me. Yeah. What was the Facebook group you mentioned? Um, mental, mental state in Berlin. Mental state. Yeah. It's 
Really good, yeah. I think that um, social media for me is not really too different from other kinds of media in the sense that there's going to be things that oh, it's also not so different from relationships um, where there's going to be people or inputs in our lives that create certain reactions in us. And sometimes those reactions can be a bit addictive. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I'm browsing social media and I come across something. I'm like, oh, I'm so mad at that. Give me some more, you know, <laughs> and... <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, and I watch that and then I'm like, wow, it keeps me attentive. It keeps me scrolling. And, uh, and then, you know, two hours later, I'm like, wow, that was, uh, that was a rabbit hole. And, um, you know, I think about how that also applies sometimes to people in my life where, you know, I'm kind of with a person and they produce a certain reaction in me. And I'm like, oh, I don't really like this, but somehow I keep on getting sucked into it. And I think that, um, there's a curation process that we can do for ourselves um, in all aspects of inputs in our lives, uh, including social media and people and, you know, and other kinds of, you know, input like Netflix and YouTube. Um, and to like kind of pay attention to oh, what are the things that make me go, oh, you know, and to slowly start to, you know, maybe distance myself a little bit from that, um, the same way that I might distance myself from people that make me do the same thing. Um, and, um, and the same thing as to introduce inputs that I'm like, oh, every time I have that input, I feel so much calmer or I feel like I have a little bit more space or insight into myself. Um, not only because I'm a podcaster, but I find that um, podcasts are really great ways of creating space. Um, I really enjoy the works of Gabor Mate and mm -hmm. Esther Perel um, because they also talk about other people's issues, but I see myself reflected in those issues often. And um, sometimes, like therapy is difficult to access sometimes. And if you can't access, access therapy for yourself, sometimes you can access somebody else's therapeutic process and learn through what they're learning. Because, and I think this ties into that, the idea that we're not alone. It's like, I'm not the only person experiencing this specific kind of issue. There's a whole host of other people and here's the way that they're dealing with it. Um, so if there's something that you naturally gravitate to that you're like, I really feel good when I do that, try to bring more of that closer to you and push away some of the stuff that, that, you know, it's like junk food for your brain. Mm. Well said. Yeah, maybe really that, uh, that, um, kind of hygiene aspect right so if if someone is really struggling with too much using social media and phone that you set yourself uh times without phone right and that you really plan that and uh at the beginning of corona i i was like oh that's interesting so let's see what there's all online to uh, help clients that can't go to see their therapist anymore because that was an issue too because i worked in mallorca before and we had suddenly that problem that all our clients were not able to arrive anymore because they all would have uh, needed the plane but the airport was closed so i was like okay that's like really really tricky right so um i think if to really do some research um and see okay what kind of apps are out there because they are interesting apps and how do i like using that app and how can that maybe help me to get more into 
the self-care instead of the social media because in the end i think our thumb uh, is so used to to do that movement and that has a like a feedback in the mm. brain it's not not necessarily only that what what you consume it's more the like subconsciously mechanism of oh I, i'm doing something and that's for me as a psychologist super interesting right because all these uh, social media uh, do um, are based on similar um yeah no way uh, that um gets the dopamine um going mm -hmm. and that's similar to cocaine <laughs> and that's super interesting no really that it's like built on that on that uh, dopamine feedback mm -hmm. I mean, Real thing, social media addiction. That's yeah. Yeah. There's a documentary <laughs> yeah. on this called Social Dilemma. Yeah. yeah. That's specifically oh, about this, so how it was crafted. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's yeah. super terrifying, but it's a weird thing. Mm -hmm. And that happens to all of us mm -hmm. without that we really know about it, but it's, it's affecting all of us. I was just like, when, when I was asked here for the, for the um, Corona um, Nachweis, I was like, what? imagine we all wouldn't have an uh, iPhone or like a smartphone. <laughs> I have a few friends that don't have yeah. one. They, yeah, they yeah. have to break out their paper, yeah. Yeah, but it's like we are so used to using those phones. And I think that's the, like, as you said, do something with your hands. I mean, maybe it's getting from this angle, you know, it's like, okay, we as humans like using our hands, but we don't do much with our hands anymore. So mm. that phone... It's kind of like a feeling of accomplishing something, but you're not really accomplishing Yeah, mm. and that's that weird gap that then mm. gets you really downwards, kind of, mm. yeah, so, mm. my thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> it's perhaps a matter of also curating, right, like what content, I think curating the content of what it is you're consuming on the social, like it doesn't have to be so, yeah. Yeah, like a spring cleaning and all that. Yeah, yeah. But, but I talked with my best friend about it, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I I, I uh, took the phone of my brother and just like changed some of his um, some of the people he's following, and now he's he has totally different impact." And you know, and I was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Yeah, you know, because because it's so hard for yourself to create other input because you're in your in your way of right. But if you just handle your phone to one of your friends who you really mm. like of that or some different mm. um, then you can get yeah. totally different feedback absolutely I think it, it's it's <laughs> hilarious that you said this because I noticed this so much um, this year actually like I changed I started I just changed a lot of my Instagram I stopped using Facebook basically and then on Instagram I changed a lot of the people that I was following even like pop stars they're just kind of like people that maybe you you like their music but then their social media content you were like it's not really enriching me when I'm looking at this it's kind of like triggering me somehow or it's bringing stuff up that I don't really feel I need to be looking at all the time um and I actually just stopped following them and started following Esther Perel, Gabor Mata and like a lot of kind of <laughs> like different either websites or pages or podcasts or speakers that were in this realm of either psychology, transformational coaching, um, well-being or spirituality, anything that found that actually it's pretty, it can be pretty motivating then when you grab your phone and you scroll for a bit and it's all these like <laughs> positive messages and you're like, all right, 
okay, well maybe maybe like yeah, maybe maybe life is not terrible. <laughs> like things are okay. Every. Oh yes, it's yes, really Nicola Pera. Like saved me mm. like, throughout so many. Yeah, very educational as well. Yeah. She wrote a book as well called yeah. uh, How to Do the Work, and it just came out like. She has oh. a book as well, so it's really, really Excellent. It's like. Um, it's really fun, like Yeah. Yeah, it's visually crafted in a way that's very easily to follow, and it's very, you know, the poster like step by step for also it's really well done, like taking apart different personality disorders and holistic psychology. Hmm, holistic psychology. Yeah. 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 Super. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a great starting point also, like for anybody who wants to do a bit more research on something, because you get like the base, you'll be able to identify yourself with whatever is going on in one of her posts, and then you can go deeper from there. Um, but I was actually curious now to, to turn it in, to, to turn the conversation also towards the helpers. Um, because I think one of the things that I've noticed over the course of my life, I guess, um, is that when you have a loved one or someone who's just dear to you, um, who's struggling really hard and they're, they're struggling with their mental health. And this can be anywhere from, from depression to anxiety to personality disorders that are just really triggering. Um, you know, it could, it could be, the range is really, really wide here. When you're the supporter and you're the person who is for example, in the pandemic, I think a lot of people had to play the role of the supporter, right? Being maybe the ones that were a bit more stable and they can receive, they can hold space for the person who's struggling. What I've noticed is that in that process, when you're holding space for somebody else, it can be really challenging as in you're, you can get triggered yourself in a lot of your own issues that they might not be as bad, if we want to put it that way, um, but it can still bring up a lot of emotional instability for yourself and it can be really challenging to navigate that. So what I'm curious to hear is um, how, how do we hold space as people for, like how do we hold space and compassion for ourselves and for the person who's struggling? How do we receive the pain that somebody's going through without it permeating us. Yeah, and it, it really like triggering us too much. How do we create these boundaries and these, because I, th I think that can be so challenging. Um, yeah, very curious who, who here, <laughs> if somebody in the audience also knows, <laughs> welcome to join in. I just have like one like kind of simple thought to that. It's like one of my my um um siblings sister brothers mm -hmm. he got like in a really like maniac uh, phase right um and then the family group was like over like full of input all the time Zzz, bing 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 
And I had big time, like I was like very worried and like really because I've been so far away and then it's always this feeling of like, yeah, I want to help because I love that person, but I'm I'm not next to that person and somehow it's their own way. So I can say, hey, I'm here for you to support you. Uh, when you want to talk, but I can't run after you all the time, right? So because that what you do is like your own decision. You're like, um, yeah, and that was like crazy, crazy times. But then I said one day, like I wrote a message to all of my to all of my family members and was like, okay, now I need to take care about myself. And I feel like this group is not helping me to deal with that uh, time we are all in together properly. So please give me a call if you want to talk to me and um, yeah, get into direct contact because that whole thing of reading and not being really able to interact, that made me really sad. And there I had to say, hey, okay, now I need to make a cut, mm. which was crazy for me because I love my family so much. But then I was like, fuck this WhatsApp thing, you know? <laughs> I mean, come on, we had a time before, so... Um, no, if, if you want to interact with me, then please reach out on a like personal or um, yeah level where we can talk and not being in, in your head all the time or just reading because that can amplify the worries and sadness and like struggle so much, right? Mm. And it gives a, um, a somehow um, a bühne, a stage to that person who's struggling, right? She get, Because that person gets feedback then all the time. Mm. And it's like, hey, okay, you use somehow the others to get to create your feedback that you can stay on your like crazy path you're in right now because you're not able to see how it affects the others because that we need to be aware about, right? Mm. The people that are struggling that are not able to think about really like, okay, what what's going on in the others because they are so observed with their own um, struggle and, and issues. Yeah, so I think it's super important to listen to yourself and say, okay, how much can I uh, be supportive and what do I need and what can I give myself to be able to support in the best way? And when I realize like, uh, okay, now I'm, I'm full, now I'm, I'm not able to help you or listen to you the way you deserve it, I have to make a break. And we talk another time, yeah? It's really about making boundaries, but not then having the feeling, oh, I make boundaries and maybe this person kills itself now and then it might be my fault or something, right? You really need to step out of that um, kind of toxic um, uh, wie sagt man, Verantwortung, responsibility. responsibility, yeah, because somehow you still need to give the other person the chance to take their own responsibility. And if mm. that person is going mad at the moment, well, okay, I'm still your sister, I'm still here for you when you're ready to <laughs> um, interact with me on a way I can interact with you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's difficult to answer this question without getting into the specifics, yeah. you know, yeah. um, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, the, the, the question, if I remember it, is how does the person who finds themselves in the position of helping another who's suffering deal with that? And it's like, 
you know, how is the other person suffering? Are they, are they distancing themselves and you're just kind of feeling them getting further and further away as you watch them struggle? Or are they completely in your life and you cannot get away from the, from the presentation of the, the difficulty, you know, or is it somewhere in between? Um, so I think that, um, you mentioned boundaries. I'm really happy that, that you brought that up because the awareness of our own capacities is paramount to our own wellness. And, um, and it takes a long time to be aware of your own boundaries. It's not an easy thing, you know, mm -hmm. you can't just be like, Oh, there's my boundaries. That's it. Yeah. You know? And, <laughs> uh, and boundaries are such interesting things because it changes depending on what context you are in and who you're dealing with. Um, so the boundaries that I have with my partner are going to be much more flexible and loose. Um, if you know, that's a good relationship versus the boundaries that I have with my mother, you know, but for somebody else that might be actually the opposite way around. Um, so I think this, um, uh, this, this feeling, of feeling out of what's okay for you and what starts to be in the range of not okay. That's really, um, that's another practice. And that involves a lot of, uh, awareness of what's happening in my body. And, um, so, you know, my difficulty typically is that I get, um, people who somehow get over-involved in my life. You know, they need too much from me because I, I happen to be a person who, you know, empathizes a lot and, and gives a lot. And, um, and so my sensitivity is that I start to get really anxious when I'm locked into conversation with someone for much longer than I want to be and I can't leave the conversation and this person keeps on coming back into my life and they want to keep meeting up and I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, my sensitivity to that is like, oh, I start to notice that, you know, my, my heart rate is going up and my body is getting tense and I start to not be able to breathe as freely. Um, so now I, I know that my boundaries are starting to be encroached upon. Um, and it's okay when that starts to happen, but I have to start responding to it. I can't wait for the other person to tune into it because they don't know. They, they can't tell. Um, especially if I'm a person, maybe like some people here, who's cultivated this calm exterior, you know, where it's like, no matter what happens, I'm, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And that's what encourages, you know, people to, to come and, and give uh, more of their stuff to you. So it's up to me to start saying, I'm feeling overwhelmed, for example. And it's really important to have the words prepared ahead of hand. Uh, so that you're not caught off guard and you don't know what to say. So it's like if you notice that you're you're frequently in these situations to practice saying, I'm feeling overwhelmed or do you mind if we take a break or I need to, you know, go to the bathroom or um, let's talk about this another time. Not that I don't care about it. Uh, and uh, an important thing to put the emphasis on I rather than you're making me anxious um, because when you put it on yourself, people can't really argue with that. They can't say, no, you're not feeling anxious or no, you're not overwhelmed. Um, and when you make it about yourself, you know, to let them know what the impact is on you, um, generally, even if people are unwell, they don't want to impose upon you. They don't want to make your experience more difficult. Um, they also want to help you help them. So if you can say, I'm feeling overwhelmed, you know, can we take a break? Usually it's, it's really quite fine. Um, whereas if we say you're too much, then there's this antagonistic kind of uh, reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely on my list. If we're talking about helpers, maintaining like a clear um, communication with others and creating like safe space, boundaries. And something else that I want to add is um, 
what you know if we're talking about the helpers um, role here um, talking with other people with similar um, experience there are obviously um, support group for I don't know, depression or cancer or whatever. But there are also support group for family members of people suffering depression or people suffering. Exactly. Um, that's what many people probably don't know. And right now, obviously, also because of the lockdown, we don't know where, where to go. Um, I'm great that, for example, this, um, the website like uh, from the Berlin Mental Health Festival, you have resources, something that you can access online. So. Um, you know, help are out there um, and um, talking with other people with similar experiences um, also helps to, to just exchange um, experiences and um, or just to let your feelings out there. I think. Do you want to add something? Um, yeah, like um, based on like the term social support, it's important to know that like where's the receiver, who's the giver, and there's like non-written um, agreement between those two subjects. Like, you know, I mean, if if the who needs to help as a supporter, this, like a, the person doesn't need my help or not seeking to my help. So I, I cannot try to be put my help. No, you need my help. So take it. I'm here for you. It's like, you know, <laughs> so this is also, you know, based on my approach and personal idea perspective that like that's not okay like you know so what i'm saying that it should be the both side should agreed on that you know it's like hey i need i'm looking some help oh yeah i think i can provide some help about this i'm making this now the sentence but this is more about non-written rules like you know or if i provide the social support i have to care myself too I have to care my mental health level too, like because I cannot try to be, you know, give all. So then, then I'm gonna be turned as I need to help. So this is gonna be like create a paradigma that like I cannot solve it. So what I'm understanding is to helping someone, a family member, classmate, workmate. So like you know, a certain certain amount that we can provide help if who looking to help they needs our help and they ask our help you know i mean it just ask not, not like okay i beg your help or like hey like announcing i needed help it might be that way too but what i'm saying that uh, without marginal examples there is a you know average way to that like a uh, communication non-violent communication and also i want to point it out emotional communication mm. You know, it's like most people think that like a communication is like, you know, what you're saying, what are you thinking based on like a think ideas, no, but it's, there is an emotional communication as well as like a, a body posture, body language might be also emotion, part of the emotional communication. And we can understand it. This person not saying to verbally needs or seeking our help, but we can understand it to signals, but we can also give a signal or offer, not like, okay, you need help. I'll give my help and you ha you don't have any choices. You have to take it. You have to accept it. No, this is what I'm saying that again, to, to summarize, like there is a certain non-written rules that um, an agreement that like, you know, we have to try to understand it as well. Who seeking help, it should ask or, you know, open himself or herself 
about this help. And other provider or supporter, social supporter, also put on the table that what can provide it, what can help, which cases or which circumstance or like uh, how, you know. And this might be more health way to keep both sides healthy, they are to keep their mental health both sides. Let me add something. I'm happy that you said this um, this part about uh, do you need my help? Um, because I think, you know, speaking from my own experience, I used to be uh, like a, a serial helper. <laughs> you know, I needed to fix people. Uh, I needed to save people. And that was part of my own uh, non-understanding of... Um, First of all, my limitations as a, as, a, as a human being. And second of all, of what role I was invited into, you know? Mm. Um, so the people who didn't need me to be there to, you know, take their every fall, um, I still threw myself at them because I needed to feel important. That was a big, a big thing. I needed to feel like I could make a difference and that this person would, um, you know, would, would languish without me. That was something about my own ego. Um, and it was also hard for me to see people suffer because I couldn't understand their suffering. I wanted to alleviate them of the thing that I was like, oh, you shouldn't be going through that. It doesn't make sense that you go through that. And it was, that was not my place because each person has their own story and the suffering is something is happening. It doesn't come from nothing. Um, and even if I had the power to take that away, it wouldn't be my place to do that. Um, you know, so there's this joke that I'm sure everyone has heard, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> right, one, but the light bulb has to change itself. Um, has it want to change itself? <laughs> and, and, and it's this, it's like, you know, not to say that, oh, it's your problem, it's totally up to you to, to fix yourself now, you're on your own. Um, but to understand that the other person has agency and, um, and we, we don't have any place to take that agency away from them. And it's more, these days, I cultivate more of an attitude of curiosity and helping the other person to be curious, um, to inquire alongside them rather than have this kind of top-down uh, mm. hierarchical approach. Um, and to just say, you know, how do you see your situation? Mm. Um, what this is what I see, but that's just what's happening on my side. You know, do you see the same thing? And um, and what's your understanding of what's happening right now? And there might be some things that come out that we had no idea about. Uh, and you know, and and sometimes people do need to suffer more so that they can suffer less later. Mm. And this is so hard because it's it's just it hurts so much to see someone close to you suffer, and you want to take it away. Um, and, and somehow it's, it's still their own path to walk. I love that, that you said it brought up this, um, thought, yeah, well said, <laughs> my goodness. There's, that was fantastic. It brought up this, um, like a catchphrase almost that I feel like has been circulating in my head the last like year, year and a half, which is, uh, judge less, ask more. It doesn't matter if you're the helper or if you're the one that needs the help. Judge less, ask more. <laughs> Just the things that come out when, yeah, when we just ask the other person to just keep going into things and just to keep looking into the nuances and, and, and 
you know, it can, it can shift a lot within us. And I think, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is going along this line of like, how can we be the best kind of supporters? And also how can we create a society that is more compassionate and more supportive and embracing of people struggling with a whole amalgama of um, mental health issues is, you know, like what are, what, what are things that we can do if we, let's say we either want to create a support group for, um, as you mentioned, for, for family members. I remember my, my father passed away from cancer many, many years ago. And I remember at the time, very vaguely, very vaguely, <laughs> like I think my mother, I was a teenager at the time, and I think my mother like kind of flew by the option of like, don't you guys, do you guys maybe want to like feel like you need to go to like a support group for like kids of parents with disease? And I remember just being like, what, huh? No, I don't know. That feels weird. I don't think I want to do that. But I, it wasn't really like clear to me, actually, until you said this again. It wasn't really clear to me, right? This is the thing. There's support groups for the supporters. <laughs> and then there's support groups for those that are struggling. So let's say we want to create a support group. You know, we, we come here with, you know, our best-hearted intentions to want to not fix but help. Um, and we say, okay, we either want to do a support group for people struggling um, with a mental illness or, or, or their mental health per se, or we want to create a support group for the helpers. What are some guidelines? What are some things that, that people should keep in mind um, when, when going about this? Are there any rules? Is there any, um, any definite don'ts? I'm assuming there's usually definite don'ts, but yeah, anything along these lines that could be helpful um, either for now, present moment, future, whatever's to come. Um, yeah, thanks for great questions. It's <laughs> nice. Um, I think where we should start it, first of all, like thank you for organizing such marvelous, great festival. We should definitely repeat it next year. This will be nice. No? Yes. Nice, good beginning. And I believe for um, positive social change, positive social personality change or society change or group change with social support, the advocacy uh, might be the key word. So like, you know, standing for any any issues, standing out there for other person who doesn't has source or knowledge or experience that I have it. And I can use it this as a power of information for advocacy, for supporting myself and other people. Because helping to someone is also helping myself. I'm helping someone, but also it's like a, it's a side effect. I'm helping myself because the, the, the helping is a deep psychology that like, you know, makes the both side happy and might be positive outcomes that like, mm. oh, I'm helping it. Yeah, I'm, I'm this person. I have a nice personality, good person, whatever, how you interpret it. It's based on like your personality. But what I'm saying that this is my personality that I interpreted to help and um, the social support and the social support group meeting. It's really helpful for me as um, like mental health professions and also as like a person. Every month also um, I'm going to meeting for super supervising meetings, that supervision meetings that like a, uh, 
I'm putting my problems on the table that and I'm I'm listening that um, how how um, the other participator to interpret the situation and shows that like based on their perspective and aspect that how they interpret the situation or my problem that and this really helps me and also it's like putting my problems on the table excuse me it's like oh yeah it's like you know a relief a little bit like you know because it's so normal to talk about that it's not a taboo anymore because you know um sometimes I, it goes on my mind oh you psychologist how how you cannot be you know um like a such problems on your mind you should be strong because like you you helping the people you're providing the social support oh yeah sure sure yeah it's like you know <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 not it's not working like that because every, you know it's like the stigma. It's also it's like I'm hearing from other people's or my family members. Like you know, um, I have a brother, but my mom thinks that like I'm more strong and I can deal for everything. But my brother is more vulnerable because he's not psychologist. So this is like you know, and I have to deal with this, and I'm trying to deal with that. Hey, mom, this is wrong, and let's talk about this. You know, everyone's is different. Every job is different. This is the job. This is professional identity, and I have my personal identity. This personal identity needs social support, and I need social support. That's why, like, I'm making a meeting with other people. I do. Um, super, supervise, uh, supervising sessions to get and even like sometimes I have a, like a, a struggling very hard and I'll with a therapist too I'll take myself to help too this is I feel like so normal and um, creating a lot of as possible as social group for social support this might contribute positively po positive social change for everyone Want to add therapists also have therapists can also have therapists and i want to add um about the helpers before um this flight attendant analogy you know when you're in an emergency on a plane they always tell you that put your oxygen max mask first before you help other people so that's what you most important thing you need to remember when you're supporting someone you cannot help someone when you're not helping yourself first and about the support group as um I, I think I noticed some people, I think the question has also been raised in the group before um, how, you know, someone can start a um, support group. Um, this is not really an advice, but probably just a practical thing in case someone is interested. Um, you can get, get a support from this association. Um, they will help you to find for a room, for example, if you want to do it like you know, um, they also have some um, social workers, counselors, or um, I'm also volunteering myself there. So if someone wants to, the thing about support group is it doesn't have to be guided. There's a guided support group and there's like a support group. Um, not all support groups have like professionals in it, but there's also a support group that has professionals in it. And they can help you to find volunteers, people who will do it for you for free. For example, um, I'm not sure, maybe you can also put it like an info later. Um, on the website or something, um, uh, exactly. And they're local. They're like, there's like an like an umbrella association, but there's also locals like in Berlin in every city. Um, they're probably also busy because again, they're also operating in a like very minimum, you know, support from the government and everything. Um, but it's there in case someone is interested. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
I'm still thinking. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for every support group, it's good to think about group dynamics and, and, and have maybe some group skills and be prepared for interesting, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, different roles because in group therapy, there are different positions and that all like influence the session. And I think to have really like clear, I don't like the word rules, but yeah, commitments, um, guidelines, guidelines, yeah, guidelines for every member that every member is totally aware about that. So that the space is safe and that, um, you know, the time, the amount of time everyone has to speak and what kind of words are used and what kind of words are not okay. And like, just make it really safe. And, um, yeah. And for that, I think it's super important to have some uh, preparation time. Mm. Yeah. And I thought maybe we should create a support group for the social media <laughs> to, yeah, because that would be super interesting, right? Like, okay, how do you, um, how do you deal with your social media account and what kind of inputs do you get and what not, and, and what are you going to do with it? And, Do you have some tips for others? Do you want to share some maybe inspiring channels or maybe you, you know, because everybody, everyone, almost everyone is using it, but to somehow bring it back again into the society that not everybody has it for its own. So more like share. And there I imagine it could be an interesting thing combined with Then art maybe and um, and maybe some digital like bring the digital into reality, yeah. But that's just something that came up. So yeah, I think groups are in incredibly great and um, but but they need some some framework. Mm. Yeah. Framework. Yeah. Frames things. Um, I was just thinking, you know. If I were someone who had um, a need for me to be helping a lot, I don't think I would have the energy to start another support group. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I'm just asking myself now, like, if I were to do that, what would be my motivation for doing that? To, to like, get involved in other people's problems, you know, in, a, in an even larger scale, you know? And I, and I absolutely see the the benefit and the value of attending a support group um, that's hosted by somebody else, but not necessarily in starting my own because, um, because like, how, how could I, how could I manage that with such, um, you know, difficult situation already? So I think the first thing would be like, you know, to examine my own reasons for wanting to do that is like, am I doing another version of the helper syndrome? If I can't help the person who I really want to help, can I help other people? And, um, you know, and, and while, of course, that's, you know, it's a balance, it's a dance, um, because you probably could help other people to, again, be aware of, um, of these boundaries and to be aware that, you know, when other people come to such a support group, they're also dealing with very heavy issues that they're going to be bringing into this, this circle. And, um, and that's going to require group dynamic skills and group process skills um, and to... Um, yeah, to be to be careful with that. Um, I also think about this um, this an analogy of concentric circles, where the idea is that you know the person who's suffering the most is in the middle of this circle, and um, slightly outside of this 
middle of the circle are the people who are uh, closest to them, friends, family, you know, trusted people. And the people who are helping the person in the, in the center, they need to go even further out in that concentric circle to seek for people who can assist them rather than who, who they also need help from, you know, to kind of like link up the hands to continually bring out the, you know, the, the support that's needed. Um, and how, you know, sometimes the best support is to do things that have nothing to do with helping. Sometimes, um, the best thing that we can do for our mental health is to go and, and, you know, do our hobbies and, uh, you know, and live uh, regular lives, you know, do things that make us, uh, that remind us of how wonderful life can be and, um, and that it's not only pain and suffering and, uh, you know, and, and digging into the, the darkness. Um, so, you know, and I say that also really recognizing that, um, that it is really helpful to be with other people who know what you're going through. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a balance, you know, as much as we can have balance in, in these difficult situations. Well said. Absolutely. So, you, uh, two of you already uh, talked about dynamics, and I think I want to add to that it's <clears throat> like people come with like maybe have heavy topics, and I want to highlight how important it is maybe to at the beginning of like creating the circles, like at each ses session, to be really playful because being playful opens up the people so they forget about the heaviness of the situation and like they get into engagement they get into the state of like i want to cooperate um i want to learn i want to be curious and um yeah i think this is something helpful and in theory you already mentioned uh the nonviolent communication or empathic um uh, communication i think like um, getting close to this topic, uh, this books of how was the author Rosenberg, the founder? Rosenberg. Yeah, Rosenberg. Yeah, I think it's also like a, a, a great start to 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 read maybe something about it um, because there <clears throat> he's explained really great um, how to connect with the other people, like the, the deeper insight and to understand what are the underlying needs of the each person and. Then um, also to observe their own feelings, how we relate to that, and also maybe, if necessary, to put boundaries because I said, or to ask questions, um, especially ask questions like how together can we raise the quality of life together? And then by that, <clears throat> you have like a good objective together, I think. Yeah, wonderful. I think that's really important of like creating a sense of, of unity also, of a we're doing this all together to uplift each other and not to kind of wallow in the misery together necessarily. Um, you know, as they say, misery loves company, but at the same time, I've also found that that doesn't make the misery better <laughs> necessarily in the long term. Um, so yeah, maybe to, yeah, at least. Like going back to what we were saying also at the beginning is like I think it's realizing that we all go through the same things in life, like different levels and different reasons. And it occurred to me when I was listening, like Moni is doing a podcast, like interviewing other comedians about her mental health struggle, and because she shared it with me and I was listening to it. And there's so many things, even though I never really diagnosed myself as like depressed, but there's so many things where I was like, oh yeah, I can totally relate. Oh yeah, I've been there. And because they had been there and they had found the tools to get better. 
to hear them talk about it and like share their experiences and how to get better. I think that's where the power mm. of like collective healing comes from, mm. like by sharing those experiences and, and how how you there is a way to get better and there is a light at the end mm. of the tunnel and it's like talking about it. So support groups are good, but like as you were saying, it's also to like share like positive experiences and, and how like mm. yeah, they can give, give each other the tools to yeah, absolutely. I actually wanted to like latch onto that because I think um, I would like to kind of, before we give questions open to the to the audience, a last question that I think I would like to ask to, yeah, put us on an upward swing um, a bit would be what are your three like personal favorite like free resources that you found um, for yourself to be really uplifting just that do the trick for you when you're down and out or whatever that you feel like ah wow this just every time gets me every time <laughs> like um yeah because I think I found as well in the past oftentimes hearing what other people are doing that might be never ever have crossed your mind and then you're like oh yeah I'll try that out <laughs> it could work for others might not work at all but Plenty of people here, so that should amount to like 12 different things. <laughs> Hopefully one is useful for somebody. <laughs> yeah, pretty like basic. It's music, listening to music, making music, dancing to music. Um, because it's just so incredible how music shifts the energy. Uh, then spending time in nature. Um, that's like, Wow. And then, uh, yeah, I said that with the breathing already. And then, yeah, really like talk to your friends, those people who make you like laughing, like easy, right? Like help you to shift or get out of your mind. Yeah. Do something with your body, sweat. Yeah, move enough to sweat. Um, I feel like there's going to be a lot of repetition, but really, you know, <laughs> reach out to, to the one person who um, you trust the most and um, make something with your hands, uh, whether it's cooking, whether it's an art project, whether it's scrib scribbling with crayons uh, or even cleaning, um, do something that helps you see that you have an effect on your environment, that you made a difference, even if it was just scrubbing the toilet today. Um, yeah, it's going to be funny because I use my body. Yeah. I like it's sex actually. Sex is like one of my, um, coping strategies to fit my libido. So, um, feel energized and something. The second one is, um, meditation. I really like, and the third one is going to be uh, bonsai arts. I like to touch the, um, plants, cut them, give them the shape, you know, um, this helped me to, um, to separate my realistic and non-realistic ideas. And then, you know, I can see more um, clear path, something like that. Um, yeah, like like she said already, there will be a lot of repetition. Something that I really, I just started um, to do since maybe three months ago is combining the workout and music and spin class. <laughs> Surprisingly, it's really um, it's really hard in the beginning because it's like a whole body workout, you know. But it's like 
because of the lockdown, of course, no parties, right? <laughs> I thought like the first time I've been in a dark room with other people and music and I'm working out, this is amazing. <laughs> so it's something that you might try maybe. It's like a party, but you know, you're sweating. I mean, first time I was just sweating, I was dying like, no. <laughs> but it's really good, something to try on. Um, um, I've just started working out again after um, uh, health issues and also I had a baby. Um, um, so running is also wasn't easy to get back into running in the beginning. It's something that I do is um, there's this app from Nike. It's free. It's called um, NRC, Nike Run Club, and they have guided runs. Mm -hmm. So I've tried lots of run clubs before in Berlin. So we're running in group. Then I discovered that myself, I'm not a runner in a group because one my pace is very slow <laughs> like a turtle and it's just not my thing I was like a solo runner but I just you I mean everybody have their headphones on when you're running and it's like guided you know the first time is like 22 minutes and they just someone is talking to you they choose the music for you it's like this is amazing <laughs> so it's something that's free and you can really try out if you want to and um um, I'm also actually, I um, support myself while I was studying as a singer-songwriter. Um, just from going to like one open stage to another open stage in Berlin, I have like one song on Spotify. <laughs> it's like not something. Um, but yeah, I just like writing my thoughts and turn it into music. But it's also something small that you can try writing your thoughts. So maybe it's helpful for someone else. Yeah, that's my personal add-on as well, yeah. writing. <laughs> Writing. writing, 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 everything and anything all down to the page. I've discovered that I was always a writer, sorry, journalism, but um, I didn't have a journaling practice like that until last year. Like I had a journal, but it was like, oh, one ev once every three months you would write something or whatnot. And since writing every day, sometimes multiple times a day. I just carry my journal with me everywhere. And it, you know, it can just be like a five minute coffee thing, like a something that came to mind. I found that to be amazing somehow. It does something super interesting with your brain when <laughs> the chaos that's in here, you have to actually stop to think of words that make actual sense to put into a sentence and then put that on a piece of paper and then you read it and you're like, oh, wow, wow. <laughs> it, it's like something by by taking it out of here, it, it's less jumbled, yeah. and yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And singing as well, or chanting, singing, mm -hmm. chanting. What if, if somebody says I can't sing? Mm -hmm. Whatever your voice is, <laughs> in whatever weird ways you can use it. I found that one to be really helpful as well. Because if you're really angry, for example, let's say you're really, really angry, or you're really upset, and you're really just really depressed, for example, or you're feeling really anxious, there is a, there is a, a, a tone, whatever your voice is, there's a tone that will match that. And there's a expression of some sort that will match that, no matter how silent or, or, or low vibrational it is there will be something that will come out. Yeah, sound and music is really powerful. I mm. discovered when I was studying, there's a friend of mine who's doing um, 
something with automobile kind of and he said they actually this big companies who make like sports car they employ psychologists to help them to make this car sound like so cool that people think like oh this is a strong car you know so sound is more powerful than you think mm -hmm. <laughs> and music yeah, obviously yeah for meditation in case any of the people who will see this later on the video um uh app that i found to be in incredibly useful um and i'm generally not a person who's a fan of meditation apps i learned it a little bit like the old school kind of hardcore way you start right away with half an hour a day and like sit with it till it works kind of struggle through doesn't have to be like that um i did find insight timer to be incredible like it, to be hands down like just the the only app that i think for me is really spot on like just because it has music it has um so many layers to it now they're working on the user experience and they're creating a new version of it as well that's going to be has i think also more like groups and things where you can um follow your friends on the app and see what they're doing and what kind of meditations and stuff they're doing that that one i found to be very very wide in the variety of what they offer is it free i, yeah. I don't know but yeah yeah the, oh, the base version is free okay. there's a premium version for i think 10 bucks a month or something but i use the free one and it's got it's got so much stuff like you would never be able to even sort through it all yeah um and really like really really high caliber people as well like presenting stuff like you have like tara brack on there and stuff and it's like impressive um but yeah, thank you all for your resources. This is incredible. Maybe, maybe I could yes. add something because it came now to the sound and the power of sound. I have that project with a really good friend of mine. We both are working with hypnosis. And I had a long time the idea in my mind to create a space for people um, in the group um, where they can listen to hypnosis, to like a trance journey but a guided trance journey and we combine it with live music. So we use the music to really get you in a really deep, relaxed state. So it's not only the hypnosis, which you normally uh, only listen to the words, but you listen to the sound. And we like um, really spend a lot of time thinking about the optimal sound and we play it live. Um, and it's like around one up to two hour experience. And we like do it here in Berlin uh, several times and on festivals to create a space for people to reconnect with themselves with, without anything from outside, just with themselves because hypnosis works with your subconscious. And it's so beautiful what happens when you open up for um, the connection to your subconscious and then you get in a really deep, relaxed state. And in this deep, relaxed state, your whole system can recalibrate itself and you can uh, get new insights and find new solutions on a really gentle way. That's why I love that work so much. And yeah, um, combined with the music, it, it helps really the, the frequencies to, to support that process. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yes, I wanted to actually pass on the microphone to anybody who has a question now or wants to add something. Feel free. I want to add uh, um, the most free resource in all of that is basically yourself. Like, um, create a relationship with yourself. Um, for me, it was really important that like life really screamed into my face like five, six years ago, ago the concept of self-love. and. Until now, I'm trying to understand it. And it's like, I think this is 
that create a relationship with yourself and um yeah learn what it means to love yourself what what it means to trust yourself and um see like what yeah that there are also like all this like teachers or even one teacher in you that is talking constantly to yourself like and giving you uh, positive feedback um And then one thing I also want to add is um, practice gratitude. Like, like realize how lucky you are in your life, what you have, that you have a roof, uh, that you have something to eat, that you have friends, that you have water, a toilet, uh, plants, simple things. Yeah, I think that. There's just one remark I would like to add. I don't know, it's a little bit ambivalent, but it helped me a lot. And there's this sentence that depression is aggression directed at oneself at a very basic level and to to discover aggression as a resource which is channeled of course into sport into going out into meeting people into be, do any direct your um in, into any kind of action into any kind of real life um yeah doing instead of ruminating and all that stuff and um, I think as a society, we value, of course, we value empathy and all that stuff. And it's, uh, of course, this is, is necessary, but um, to, to, to have a more positive view on aggression is, um, helped me a lot. Yeah, I actually wanted to add something to that because that's actually how my therapy session started <laughs> last year. I think it was no, November, end of October. Um, that was the first thing, that was the actually first thing that my therapist said to me. She was like, your depression is basically, it's, it's, it's anger. It's anger that's been flattened. Um, and so therefore it's turned into a depression. Like it's anger that you haven't allowed yourself to express outward. It's aggression that you have not given a venting space to. So it's turned into this... <laughs> to this kind of like dead inside situation. Um, and I love that. Like the moment that she said that, it was like, what? Oh, wow. Yeah, of course. That makes total sense. And that opened a door all of a sudden of this, of work that had to do with this actually, especially I think, um, especially as women, I think, um, depending on where you've been raised and under what kind of like upbringing you've been raised, right. And what kind of, what kind of culture, um, I'm Latin American and like in Latin America and South America, the view of the aggressive woman is not necessarily so like, um, promoted. At least it wasn't in the older generations. It was kind of seen as something that was, you know, not really, valuable <laughs> like you know it's kind of like <laughs> keep it down a notch or tone it down and I think it's really interesting because I think for men this can also be a thing as well depending on how you were raised is how do we view aggression and how do we integrate it within ourselves how do we honor it and embrace it as something that can be so powerful and it can actually lift us up if we channel it the right way And if we really learn to look at it and embrace it instead of rejecting it. So I think that that's sorry that I just really wanted to throw that pebble in there because that was something that changed a lot for me of trying to understand 
that by rejecting the aggression you have within yourself, you create more of it. And, and that kind of creates that spiral as well. So yeah, thank you so much for that. For that reminder, gentle reminder, yeah. Thing that I don't think it's just with aggression, it's like in all kind of like unresolved trauma or wounds or something that you're holding on to, and that usually that's what I mean, not always, but sometimes create depressions because you hold it in there and it manifests itself when being triggered in one way or another in your life and in your emotions, and then you don't know where it's coming from, and so you think something is wrong with you, and then you start going into this like spiraling downward cycle. Well, in the end, there's nothing wrong, it's just manifestation of unresolved problems or aggression or something. Thank you. Does anybody else have any other questions, comments, thoughts? Yes. Um, was referring to um, this um, metaphor that you brought about the boon about the stage uh, when uh, somebody's suffering and uh, like there is space where uh, this person can bring uh, the issue more and more. And I think a struggle that can be or I have is like which is the border like when is like because I think it's also the the the, the and like the stage can also be helpful because it's a space where this person can can express this pain but then sometimes I'm also asking myself okay but what if in this bune there is uh, another conversation and there is happiness and we talk about the dinner and uh, a dream and uh, that maybe is more helpful but then and, and so sometimes I'm, I'm trying maybe to to bring the conversation in that direction and and then I don't know, or should I leave more space for the pain, or should I try to transform it? And when, till which moment is helpful to leave space, and when it maybe stopping to be helpful because it's still like, yeah, just like repeating and repeating. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good good aspect. I mean, that had to do with like a WhatsApp group, right? And I think that refers to. How do you deal with your phone and what do you all do with your phone and what are your times with your phone doing what? And when you need your phone a lot for work and then all the time you are confronted with like personal or family things that make you worried a lot, you need to find a way how to uh, save yourself so that you're not like uh, overwhelmed, right? So that was more from this perspective about like, hey, I, I said, I, I asked for taking some um, Rücksicht, how do you say? Some, uh, Reflection, like um, about the oh, other consideration. consideration. For example, <laughs> my mom sometimes just wrote like, oh, this friend of us died. <laughs> and, you know, and sent like all these like messages of the, the dying people. And I was like, could you please think about that I might receive that message when I'm in a state where it's where I can't handle this good yeah and she did it again and again and I was like mom 
<laughs> I pleased you, yeah, because I'm vulnerable, because that you don't know where I am in that moment where I receive a message. So that's more where I'm, uh, what, I, what I said with the like WhatsApp stuff. Uh, it's a different thing when we're all in a room, like, or, or meeting like uh, together, right? So then you can say, okay, maybe he needs that stage, but we all... Um, We are all in this room together and feel the energy and we can compare about like and see like the the, the little like uh, the kind of blick no? or the, the, the how the body gesture changed and there's way more space than to react as a collective or as the group or like to to maybe um, um, re rebalance the imbalance, right? So that's what I think but it's always super difficult about like okay how how far can I go because of course I want to help but um, where am I and do I have the resources and um, okay when he needs the stage he can stay on that stage and if there are other people enough to watch it to watch the um, theater fine but I can decide um, if we meet after the theater maybe just one-on-one -on -one, uh or if i if i or if i leave yeah and say okay maybe we talk in two days yeah so it's but it always need it has to do with okay what's that person in and what kind of space what's really happening um and and how can i um deal with it that i don't become a victim of his show You know, it's like, don't be, don't get used on the, for the purpose of others. But hey, I'm here for you if you really want to hear my opinion and if you really want my help. But that's what you said too, right? It's like really sometimes they don't really want it or I'm not the right person to help them, right? So that's something really that needs to be clarified. And um, I think that's super important for self-care and self-love. But it's a super difficult thing uh, because it will happen again and again that you find yourself in a situation where you feel like, oh, that was not good for me now, right? Mm -hmm. But then reflect about it and say, okay, what can I learn about? Yeah. And um, maybe to add, because I think this metaphor of the stage is really interesting. And whether the stage is a WhatsApp group or it's, uh, it's a family or it's a work situation or it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship, I think the question is to ask, like, am I even aware of what is the stage right now? Mm -hmm. And what is the play? And who are the people in this play? Mm -hmm. Who are the characters? What is the character that I think I'm playing versus what is the character that I'm actually playing? And do I have agency in that? Um, and, you know, without specifics, it's, it's hard to know, um, you know, <laughs> what your personal situation is. But I think um, there's really a lot to be said for being aware of which roles we constantly find ourselves playing, you know? So helper is a, is a very common role. Um, but there's also the role of, like, The, the critical person, you know, or there's the role of the, uh, the ever uh, optimistic person, you know, or there's the role of the cynic, or there's the role of uh, the person who's always very rational, you know. Um, so it's, it's a question of a kind of like, you know, what, what is the dynamic between me and this person right now? And what role are, are they playing? And what is it inviting me to play? Yeah, and how am I triggered? Because when I'm triggered, that has only something to do with myself, not with the other person. Mm -hmm. But how do I deal with my triggers? 
Or like a, a practice that's helpful. I started going on walks and recording myself talking as if I'm talking to someone who loves me unconditionally. Um, or that's me. Like I just think of it as, uh, I don't really picture anyone in particular. I just, okay, I'm recording this. I'm going to go walk around and make a recording, like a diary, but an, an audio diary, um, and just talk about stuff, whatever's going on. And so it's, it's nice because it combines this getting in the body, moving at the pace of the body, looking at trees, getting sunlight. Um, and yeah, I just have made it into a very regular practice and I find it to be like really helpful. It's just like taking your thoughts and feelings and putting them into words and saying those words out loud is on its own like powerful and helpful. Um, and I think the, the one other thing that I, that didn't really come up tonight, but I think has been helpful for me is um, solitude, like spending time alone intentionally. Because um, I think like social media is really cool, and our phones are really cool, and they do everything. Um, but I think one thing that they do that's not good is make us uh, afraid of being alone. So we're always connected. And it's like not having your phone is like, uh, it's impossible for so many people. So having like a practice of like, I'm going to be alone and I'm not going to look at my phone for th this amount of time. And like maybe starting slowly, but building, because it's, it's cool that we have this technology, but like we shouldn't be on it constantly. It's too fast. Like, so that's going back to the, the pace of the body, like, this, you can do this with your finger and then everything changes, so you're an entirely new world, and like, that's too fast. So, taking time to be alone and, uh, yeah, that's all. Actually, I can just add. Like, so are you actually recording yourself talking? Yeah. Okay, because I do a similar thing, but I don't record, I just talk to myself. I go for walks and I talk to myself. And I, what I find is really interesting is to notice how I talk to myself. Like sometimes I would go and I would be like in a super like nice and positive and good conversation. And then sometimes I'm just super harsh on myself. And just to become aware of that, to become aware of the time where you're actually super harsh to yourself and you, you wouldn't even talk to a friend like that. And somebody was saying earlier, like talk to yourself like you would talk to your best friend. Uh, do you listen to yourself your recording again? Um, I've never sat through an entire recording. I've before like jumped back and just like clicked on one of them and skipped through it. Um, but no, the only time that, well, the only time that I really did that was when I wrote a letter, but I read it out loud to myself, recorded that before sending it to someone. Um, just so I had a record of, of this letter and I wanted to like know where my mind was at that time. I guess I could have made a copy of the letter, but <laughs> that's what I did. Uh, I think uh, what I discovered uh, last year, end of last year, is that besides therapy, um, there's many ways of helping ourselves, uh, especially books. 
uh, I start to read intensively uh, end of last year. Uh, it really helped me to make so many breakthrough. For example, one book um, I really, really loved uh, is called Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Uh, in the middle of uh, the second lockdown, I started a support group. Um, we Every two weeks, we meet to discuss one chapter of the book. Uh, and uh, throughout the time, we made friends, we made connections, and... Uh, uh, help us deal with lots of issues. Um, one thing in the book uh, it mentioned is that uh, uh, the reason why our society are so unhappy now is all due to all kinds of lost connections, disconnection with our body, with nature, meaningful values, um, and uh, like uh, meaningful jobs. Uh, and uh, I got inspired. I, I asked myself, okay, what? If, if we lose connection, how can I help people to find the connection? And uh, beginning of this year, I start to do lots of community work, uh, community like uh, mental health uh, groups, uh, like uh, uh, myself is a stand-up comedian. I start to do community work in, in my uh, artist groups and also in my building. And every time I, I just make very simple things. For example, I just put a desk in the courtyard and uh, write to everyone, say, that's the day, this hour, we all meet and uh, let's have a drink. And uh, eventually I made friends with my neighbor and it turns out for 10 years, uh, no one has ever organized anything like that and no one has talked with anyone. So we really can use like a really small uh, efforts to make lots of impact uh, and uh, along the way, we help ourselves so much also. For example, this whole festival came, probably the idea was planned uh, when I was reading this book. Uh, and uh, along this journey of this whole festival, I met so many amazing people. We made so many connections, um, like personally and in the future, we are going to collaborate in all different different types of ways. So um, really, I recommend uh, read like uh, as much book as you can. I really recommend audio books. Um, I like to go for long walks. For example, um, a month ago, I, I came out from a long-term um, long committed relationship. Uh, it was three and a half a year long. And uh, um one year ago, if I think about a breakup, I would think I will kill myself because I, I cannot deal with the loss. But actually when it happened, I, I knew that uh, I'm going to power through. Uh, I knew that if I stay at home, I will get depressed. So what I did is just I go out every day, take a long walk for eight hours and listen to audiobooks. And uh, in like three days, I listen to 10 books. And uh, by the end of the uh, third day, I start to realize actually, Breakup is quite a good thing. Uh, <laughs> like I don't need to pretend I love his family anymore. And uh, like I don't need to sleep while his 3D printer running in my bedroom. And I can start to meet new guys, like handsome, funny, interesting guys. So, um, yeah, at the end, he came back, he said, uh, let's uh, come together. And I was like, no, I realized it's really good. Let's stay this way. 
So um, yeah, that's my journey. I really recommend everyone uh, read, and uh, w later I will publish uh, uh, like blog post also on our website to summarize uh, some really uh, well known and really helpful scientific books. Uh, please have a look. Yeah, I was gonna like to continue to what you were saying about the. <laughs> about the breakup is like learning to change the narrative. Like what, what I notice is like this, something happens to us. Like we can't control what's going to happen to us in our lives. Like we can't control the situations we're going to go through, but we can control what we make of it and the narrative we build around it because something happens and you create a story around it to make sense of it. But the story is shaped by previous experiences and, and things, but it doesn't have to be that way. And, and when you learn to like detach yourself from a situation and Little by little, change the narrative and 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 take control of the narrative and how it's going to impact your life. Then suddenly, like it's, it shifts from like being suicidal because you <laughs> broke up to like being happy and not wanting him back. To, so yeah.